Jason's coming to teach this morning. I'll pray for him. We thank you for your word, Jesus. You're the ultimate living word. And we thank you that Jason's been pursuing you in the place of prayer. And so this also is a living word that he brings to speak this morning. And so we ask you for your grace and strength on him. And open the our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us as New Life Church this morning for your honour and glory, I pray. Amen. Thank you, Wayne. Good morning, everyone. I'll tell you another story. This comes from a book some of you have read called The Folly of Prayer. And according to a Jewish story, once upon a time there was a four-year-old boy named Mordecai who refused to attend school and study Hebrew. Quite audacious for a four-year-old. Whenever his parents tried to immerse his mind in the Torah, he would sneak away and play on the swing set. Every form of persuasion failed. Mordecai remained stubborn and defiant. The exasperated parents even brought him to a famous psychiatrist, but that also proved futile. Nothing changed the young boy's heart, which seemed to grow more distant lonely and hardened every week. Finally, in utter desperation, Mordecai's parents brought him to the local rabbi, a warm and wise spiritual guide. As the parents explained their plight, pouring out their frustration and despair, the rabbi listened intently. And without saying a word, he gently picked up Mordecai, took him in his arms and held him close to his chest. The rabbi held Mordecai close enough and tight enough so the young boy could feel the safe, rhythmic beating of the rabbi's heart. Then, still without a word, he gently handed the child back to his parents. From that point on, Mordecai listened to his parents, studied the Torah, and only occasionally slipped away to play on the swing set. Sometimes prayer means listening to God's heartbeat. That's from a book called The Folly of Prayer, a great little book. don't know how true it is, but the point of the story is it paints this beautiful picture of prayer that sometimes it is about sitting with our Father, our head to his chest and hearing his heartbeat. And that's how Jesus introduces us to how to pray in Luke 11. As Wayne read for us, one t- time Jesus was praying and something in his prayer life provoked the disciples. Something about it brought this question out, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? That's how Luke 11 begins. And we know Jesus would often withdraw by himself to pray. We know he also prayed with them. He prayed publicly, he prayed in community, and they saw something in his prayer life that they wanted and they were, they were men who are used to the ritual of prayer, used to the tradition of prayer, Jewish boys brought up in a religious culture but something about Jesus speaking to the Father in heaven provoked them and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. So this morning I want to explore a few uh, ideas from this passage with that prayer for myself and for us, Lord, teach us to pray. 
And whether you are brand new on the journey or you've been at it for years, there's, there's more that the Lord wants to give us. And uh, my prayer is he will provoke us to, to desire more of, of that together. So we can all learn to pray. That's the first thing. If you're uh, five years old or if you're 50 years old or somewhere thereabouts, we can learn to pray and Jesus wants to help us. So that's good news. You can learn to pray. Uh, you can also unlearn things that maybe you've picked up over the years and Jesus wants to help us come back to the essence of relating to our Father. So that's the first thing he, he says. If you remember the Lord's Prayer, many of you know it. Uh, even if you haven't been a Christian for long, it's, it's still an echo of a, uh, a Christian influence in our culture when we speak of the Lord's Prayer. I love that in our school when we do assembly and the kids sit here on the mat, often they will all say together, Our Father who art in heaven, uh, speaking out those precious words. So Jesus, the first thing he says in this, let's call it a divine conversation starter, just before we go into it. It's not, uh, it's not like some mantra where if you say the words enough over and over again, you get enough good vibrations, it becomes something. It's not that kind of Buddhist sort of uh, mindless, empty yourself into the universal ocean or something prayer. It's not blind submission to a faraway God. When Jesus gives us this prayer, he connects us to our Father. That's the first thing he says. When you pray, pray like this. Father. Father. The first the most important thing of prayer is, who are you talking to? And here's really good news. We're talking to, yes, our king, yes, the holy one upon the throne, yes, the ancient of days who has always existed, but we're talking to Father. Jesus says, come to your Father. And like I said, I think this is a divine conversation starter. It isn't pray the word Father and then advance to point number two. It's Immerse yourself in this. You have a Father who loves you. Just as we were praying a minute ago, we belong to someone. We belong to a family. This is about someone who loves you and enjoys you and likes you. Some of you, your, your great wrestle with prayer, and when the preacher comes up and says, we're going to talk about prayer, and that inner cringe is, is connected to, actually, I don't know if God is interested in me coming and speaking to him. And I want to encourage you to fight that lie. Take a hold of what Jesus says to you. He says, when you pray, come to your Father. And the inference there, he's not a disappointed Father. He's not an angry Father. He's not a someone who's scowling at you. It's not the kind of prayer where we come and say with with uh, fear that we're going to get beaten up. Oh, what kind of mood is Father in today? It's your Father in heaven. Read the scriptures and find out what kind of father he is. If you if you're not familiar with it, he's not a he's not moody. He's not a promise breaker. He's faithful. He's good. He's kind, and he enjoys you and he wants to hear your voice. So, who are you talking to? Remember that story of the little boy Mordecai, just sitting on the rabbi's lap, and get a picture of your mind of your father, your head pressed upon his chest, hearing his heartbeat, a safe place. That's where prayer begins. Prayer doesn't begin with us getting things from God. The, the ultimate 
end of a prayer is actually God getting us. It's been one of my favorite definitions of all the good definitions that are out there and the books written and the tweets posted. That one's had my attention for a couple of months. Prayer is ultimately about God getting us. Your father enjoys you. He wants to spend time with you. It's not a chore for him to come down to the prayer room and say, oh, there they are again. He likes you. Jesus says, pray like this, Father, hallowed be your name. Or in the version Wayne read to us, may your name be kept holy. I kind of like the old word hallowed because we don't use it much. So it has this something different about it because we're not over familiar with it. Perhaps hallowed be your name. You are holy. Jesus teaches us to come before our father who loves us, enjoys us, is kind is wanting us to be with him. But we do come to that place of, you love me and you're the Holy One. May your name be honored. We run into his presence as children, yet with that awareness that he's not like us. He is bigger. He is greater. On Friday morning, we had a New Life Kids worship workshop. Where are my New Life Kids worshipers? Yeah, we were talking about the sun and how big the sun is, and the sun is a picture of something holy, something intense, something different, and that, you know, the sun is it's unique in our solar system. It's, it's just an average star in a galaxy of stars, but it's 250,000 times closer than the next star, so it's a big deal to us. And, you know, how do you approach something like the sun? If you were to fly in your airplane to go and get there, it would take you about 17 years to fly there. But by the time you got near it, you would melt and be no more. And so this, this picture of how can we come before someone so holy? And, of course, as we talked about it in the kids, it was through the blood of Jesus making us righteous, making us holy. We can be with our Holy Father. But the point was he's not like us. He's holy. And uh, we are longing to be fascinated by something. So this is also good news for us. We come to our Father. We come to the one who is holy. And this is good for us because we are designed to be fascinated. We, are we crave beauty. We crave greatness and glory. This is why... Uh, social media entrepreneurs have been able to tap into this addictive behavior where we just scroll endlessly because whether aware of it or not, we're actually looking for beauty. We're looking for glory. We're saying that there's a, there's a pulse within us saying, show me something amazing. And I know we've all been there looking for something amazing. And then whether it's 10 minutes or 10 hours later, you're like, oh, that just killed my soul for a few minutes or a few hours. Same thing with video games and, and why as young men they get addicted so easily because there's a longing for greatness to be part of something immense and amazing. So we get lost in these fantasy worlds imagining some kind of greatness. The good news is there is someone who is eternally fascinating and eternally beautiful. And if we connect to him, if we put our attention on him, we won't be in this uh, life-sucking, endless scrolling addiction. We'll be in a place of abundant life, gazing on the one who is 
beautiful forever. Think of Revelation chapter 4. If you don't know Revelation chapter 4, there's a vision that the Apostle John has of the throne room of God. And around the throne, that he sees different things, colors, sounds, beings. The closest four beings to the throne, it says they're covered with eyes, which means this. They have the best view of God. They're covered with eyes, which means they see everything. They're the nearest beings to the throne of God in this vision, which means they have the best view. And what is their response? Many of you know it. It says, night and day, they never cease to say, holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So when you pray, who are you coming to? You're coming to your Father who loves you. You're coming to the Holy Father, the righteous Father, as Jesus called him in John 17. He's not like us. He's amazing. He's captivating. And if you're not captivated by him, if you're not fascinated by him, that is what you were made for. Don't give up on that. If you're bored with God, as our, our friend Corey Russell likes to say, it's not because God is boring. It's because you're boring. And you need to reorient your life to go after this holy one, this beautiful one, to gaze upon him and be captivated. We'll come back to, to this idea in a moment that the only appropriate response to unending beauty like that is unending worship and prayer. But back to Luke 11 for a moment. Jesus says, pray like this, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Here's something about prayer. Prayer is agreement. Prayer is agreement. We're actually already in agreement as we learn to pray with Jesus. He says, pray to your Father. Pray, may your name be kept holy. We're in agreement with who he is. And now we're talking about what he wants to do. Prayer is agreement. When we come into the place of prayer, we're saying, whatever the king wants is what we want. Whatever he desires, that's what we want to be about. Your kingdom come. Whatever you want, our Father, our King in heaven. That's what we want to be about. How do, we, how do we know that practically? How do we go about that? We read his word. We invite the Holy Spirit to take us into that great narrative from Genesis to Revelation, the storyline of, of history and all the promises of where things are going. We immerse ourselves in that story. We immerse ourselves in his words it's the transcript of his heart. And we take Bible promises, we take Bible prayers, and we say, this is what God wants, so I'm going to speak it back to God. So I want to encourage some, someone here this morning who's wanting to learn to pray, and you're like, ah, I just don't know what to say. Find the Bible prayers. Come with us to the prayer room, and we can give you Bible prayers, and you can begin to speak them back to God. And you don't have to feel like, well, this is just pretending because I'm not being original. No, this is how Jesus wants us to pray. This is how Jesus prayed. Jesus' prayer book was the book of Psalms. The apostles, when they prayed, they prayed the Old Testament prophecies. We want to be a people who pray, Your kingdom come by taking the word of God and speaking it back to Him. Are you okay? You're with me? So we're learning to pray with Jesus, talking to our Father who is holy, praying, your kingdom come. 
Another thing about praying the Bible and praying in agreement with God is it gives us language. It kickstarts us into this conversation with God. And I was thinking of how my wife loves to spy on new couples. And, you know, any of you do that? You're at a, you're at a restaurant and you're like, play the pick the new couple game. Like, look at those two in the corner. They're cute, aren't they? They don't know what to say to each other. Look how awkward they are. That's sweet. And sometimes it can feel a bit like that with God. It's like, I want, I want to do this. I want to connect. But I don't have language. We don't have history yet. I want to encourage you to immerse yourself in the Bible and with other believers who know the Bible and learn to pray the Bible back to God. It gives you language. It gives you his story and, and makes you, uh, connects you to what he's wanting to do, what he's thinking, what he's feeling. Okay, the next thing. I want to talk about from this learn to pray lesson from Jesus is we pray together. We pray together. This is a big one for us in our culture of radical individualism. Jesus says, give us our daily bread. He says, forgive us our sins. He says, lead us not into temptation. In other words, this is a communal prayer. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he calls us beyond our private worlds to pray in community. Think about that. Think about that because in our Western culture, we're so prone to a private practice of religion. Uh, just me and my quiet time with Jesus. Yes, we want to have that quiet time with Jesus. Yes, Jesus, he modeled that. He got up before the sun did and he went to be with his father. But he also calls us beyond ourselves into the community of prayer. And this foundational prayer that he gives us, teaching us to pray, it's our father. It's give us. It's lead us. It's forgive us. I need some help to demonstrate this. Mr. McDonald. Have you warmed up? No? I bet you did. I bet you did before you came here this morning. Uh, I need my... Come closer, come closer. Two is better than one. Okay. This is an air squat. If you could just do a couple of air squats for me. Yep. Look at that. Good mobility for someone who's 40-something. Okay. So just one more time. This is a two-legged air squat. Yep. Up, down, easy. Okay. Now, this is what we call a pistol squat. Oh, oh that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That was left leg. Let's try the right leg. This is where you find out what you're made of. Now, this, this, oh, that's good. That's very, round of applause. Hang on, hang on. Come back. Come back. That was just warming up. If you're not familiar with pistol squats, they're actually really hard. I won't, I did consider saying everyone stand up and now let's practice, but, um, maybe over coffee. When you isolate one, you really find out how strong you are. So the thing with, he, he, he made that look pr pretty easy, but I want you to think of, uh, one leg being your, your, your quiet time prayer life, you and the Lord. And the other leg being prayer in community, prayer with others. And they both worked on their own, 
but compared to the uh, the air squat, the uh, the two leg, yeah, go on, just just keep going for reps while I talk. Yeah, a, a lot more strength, a lot more stability. In fact, I could put about a what 140 kilo barbell on there, and you, yeah, 135. Yeah, I. We go to the same gym. He could do it. Easy. So a lot more strength and stability. We're both together. Thank you very much. So if you get the point, we want to have our, our, our personal uh, walk with the Lord, but we want to obey what the scriptures emphasize, actually, which is gather together, pray together. All the time, the scriptures are calling us to this. And that's where the greatest stability and strength is when both are functioning together. So here's a thought. Here's a thought. One of the benefits of prayer and community. When we pray together, sometimes all we have to do is show up. Sometimes that's all we feel we can do. But in the showing up with others who pray, think of things like this. Hot coals build a better fire when they are together. There are harmonies that exist where we cannot do the solo. There's something about praying with others where their voice, they can't pray for us or on our behalf, but their voices can spark something in us and, and it becomes something more. So there's, there's a gift in praying together in community and there's something about, even Jesus said it, the agreement of two or three coming together and him making his presence known in the midst of them. So learning to pray includes praying together. I want you to, to hear that. That is the biblical mandate. That's the biblical call to us. We can't exist in isolation. If you're going to ask me to teach you to pray, I'm going to say, come with me on a Wednesday night or some other time down the road to our prayer room and we'll do it together and we'll, we'll open our Bibles and sing and talk to God together. So there's some thoughts from Luke 11. I'm going to stick with the Lord's Prayer, but I'm going to flip back a couple of pages in our Bible to Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus is teaching the people in what we, many of us know as the Sermon on the Mount. And again, it's a, it's a very similar prayer, but Matthew records a couple of... Uh, different phrases. He says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And then he adds this, on earth as it is in heaven. So learning to pray with Jesus, he says, pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in the last few minutes of, the, of this this message, I want you to consider this. What does prayer and worship look like in heaven? And if we are people pursuing what God wants, what the king wants, what the kingdom looks like, how far do we take that on the earth when it comes to an expression of prayer and worship? I already mentioned the four living creatures that we see in Revelation 4, the ones closest to his throne, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah has a vision 
of the heavenly temple filled with glory and we see the same thing these four creatures they're named as the seraphim in that chapter which means the burning ones crying out holy is the lord god almighty and as i said before we see this glimpse of heaven and the worship and the prayer going on in heaven because the only appropriate response to such beauty such glory to be in such proximity such nearness to someone so wonderful is unceasing worship and prayer they give witness to the worth of the one on the throne through unending worship so let's ask this question if we're aiming for on earth as it is in heaven What's that going to look like for our expression of prayer and worship as the people of God? What ought we to be pursuing? If we're setting our focus upon our Holy Father in heaven, setting our minds and hearts upon his kingdom come, his will being done, what is an appropriate response? The testimony of heaven... And the testimony of history is this, that when people get up close and behold God, unceasing prayer and worship moves from being an option to a necessity. So I'll propose this for your consideration, that when we see him as he is, unceasing prayer and worship together becomes not a charismatic fad of the last 30 years, it becomes the necessity. It becomes the appropriate response. Think about this even. This is an issue of justice. Unending worship and prayer is an issue of justice. Sometimes people create a false dichotomy of, well, I'm going for justice. I'm going for the kingdom of heaven on earth, social justice. So you guys who are just in your room praying, you know, you need to get out here and do something. It's completely a false thing that they set up because actually the first issue of injustice that we need to deal with in the earth is that the most wonderful, most worthy being, the creator of all things, the father who loves you and calls you into his family, is that every day he is mocked, scorned, treated with indifference, ignored, raged against the first issue of justice that our world needs most is that he would be worshipped is that men and women would lift their eyes to him and that the first things would be in first place and i guarantee from that place a million other injustices that we do need to deal with that we do want to see wrongs made right they will be dealt with when our eyes are on him when our attention is on the king. So do not think some are called to a back room somewhere to pray and to worship while others go out and do the stuff. No, that is the stuff. We gaze upon him. We come to worship him. And from that place, we're actually sent out to do fruitful things instead of just trying to right wrongs in our own strength. The testimony of heaven and history is that when people get up close and behold God, unceasing prayer and worship becomes not an option but a necessity. 
What's that mean for our lives? What's that mean for our schedules? I'm going to conclude in just a minute and Wayne's going to come and help us with some application. But if, if we had more time, or if you took me out for coffee, that, that's an option, just put it out there. We could talk about the testimony of history that says he's worthy of this night and day prayer. He's worthy of that priority. We could talk about the tabernacle of Moses. We could talk about how Hebrews 8 tells us Moses actually saw something in heaven and he did the on earth as it is in heaven thing. He saw a worship sanctuary in heaven and that's why in the book of Exodus we have all this special furniture made because he was recreating something God wanted on the earth as a picture of the heavenly worship as a picture of the worth of God. The priests were called to keep the, the lamps burning. They were called to keep the incense rising. The instruction was, do not let the fire on the altar go out. What is that a picture of? It's attentive to God 24-7. You can read about that, Hebrews 8, and then read Exodus 25. We would talk about David, King David, when he was the equivalent of a billionaire back in his day, the millions and millions of resources he invested to get the Ark of the Covenant, which is the manifest presence of God, in an open tent in Jerusalem with a worship team of 288 prophetic singers, 4,000 musicians, 24,000 Levites in total, running a night and day 24-7 worship and prayer service because they wanted to sing to the glory of God because he was worthy. If you read Psalm 132, you see a record of David's vow. He said, I will not rest. I will not go to my bed. I'll give no sleep to my eyes until I find a resting place for the Lord. He says in 1 Chronicles that all this, all this planning I've done, this night and day worship I've set up, I have in writing from the hand of the Lord. In other words, he glimpsed something in heaven and he recreated on the earth. He invested millions to do it. He employed full-time worshippers to do it because he wanted to see on earth as it is in heaven, a witness of the worth of God. We could talk about history. We could talk about the, the monastic choirs in places like Ireland that went on for decades, even hundreds of years, singing to the Lord. We could talk about the Moravians, the 125-year prayer meeting that started in 1727 with just 24 men and 20 women saying, yes, I'm in. I'm going to covenant to take an hour during the day and I'm going to pray. And they started in pairs and then others joined them. Within 65 years, there had been such a, a movement in that furnace of prayer that uh, over 300 missionaries were launched out into the nations where it was almost... It was basically a death sentence. I'm going to go to spread the message of Jesus. And if I die, I die. Something was birthed in a place of prayer, night and day prayer. It impacted people like John Wesley and um, William Carey, the missionary heroes that we talk about. So anyway, those are the things I'll talk about more if we went out for coffee together. But I will leave you with this, this quote. To finish off on an eloquent note from Stephen Venable, as Wayne comes up to, to wrap us up, Stephen said, Unceasing worship and prayer 
must never be construed as a noble idea of man that God merely permitted. It is an idea from God which he then commanded. It has always been first and foremost God's desire with which men and women throughout the ages have happily agreed when seeing his surpassing worth. So my question for us is, is he worthy? And my prayer is that we would see our Father in heaven in a greater way, that his name would be kept holy, that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, as your disciples asked, we ask you this morning, teach us to pray. Amen. Thank you, Jason. Yeah. Feel stirred? No, you feel asleep? Awake? Good. Stirred. I was stirred. Again. It's good to be stirred up about the right things. One of the things about prayer is, and this is not a phrase original to me, is when I, when I come to pray with other people, I bring my cold heart to the blazing fire of God's presence. I bring my cold heart, my cold, dull, lifeless heart to the bonfire, the blazing fire of his presence and I present myself there and in his presence things shift in my heart. I am confident that if uh, there's... I'm going to, actually, I'm going to do this. We're going to do this. Yep. Okay. How many of you have felt horrible and not wanted to go to the prayer room, whether it's been during the day or during the night, but you had signed up to be there and you dragged your sorry self down to the prayer room for a prayer set, got in there, and left so glad that you had done that. Stand up if you've ever done that. Ever once in your life. If that's ever happened to you once in your life where you've dragged your tired, dismal, dreary self into the presence of Jesus with others, engaged in prayer and worship, and you left going, I feel so much better. So much better. Okay. Those of you that have not experienced that, have a look, get some names and addresses of the ones that are standing so that you know who to call. Thank you, everybody. You can sit down because it is so important. That's a reality. It's a reality. Some days we're just like, you know, can't wait to get into the presence of the Lord. Other days we're just not interested. But this thing of if you just... Show up. Because God is there. That's the bottom line. God is there. To pray. You pick a time each day that you are going to pray. And you want, you want to work both legs equally as we had demonstrated up the front here by, by Blair. Brilliant job. You pick a time and you pick a place and you show up. And you do it. And it's so much better when you do it in the connection with, with, uh, with others. Because you spur one another on. 
And this idea is one of the things we introduced last year was we, we sought to get at least three people in every set in the prayer room. So we would have a three-legged stool in the prayer room and there'd be three of you together encouraging one another, exhorting one another. And so an email's gone out to you this morning with that schedule, with a schedule that's been revised and an opportunity to sign up again. Because one of the things we noticed is that when people sign up, when they actually make a commitment that's semi-public, even if it's just, you know, you've clicked submit and you've sent that to me, or Jason and the team of us, we know and we've put it up, we put up a list and it's like, this is my vow. It's not quite like David in in Psalm 132, but it's like, I'm committing to be there. And one of the things that we saw last year was that many of you, when you did this, you showed up at that time or you at least let, if you weren't able to make it because you were unwell or something like that, you let the person know uh, who was who was the, the person facilitating so that you would send your apologies. We all started the year with good, with good intentions. Some of us got COVID. We got derailed. We got distracted. Stuff happens. Life happens. So what we're wanting you to do is to sign up again. So you've all, if you're on our email distribution list, you've received an email in your inbox, inbox, do not open your phone right now to check that. You've got that. Just take my word for it. You've got an email. If you haven't got it, call me tomorrow and I'll get it to you. Uh, And there's a list of all the sessions and you can sign up for ones that suit you. The time. But this thing of like locking in, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there at that time. I'm going to show up. Even if I don't know what to say, I'm going to show up. And Jason will be there or someone will be there. Wayne will be there. Julie will be there. Say, open your Bible to this prayer. This is the prayer we're going to pray today. And off we go. One of the wonderful things that I discovered as a man was I could pray the Bible and didn't have to make up my own words. We all know that men only have, we have about three times less words a day than women. We all know that. We run out much quicker. We need help. And God's going, I got you covered, boys. I've written it all down for you. Just speak back to me what I've given you to write down. So I do want to say that there's some new sets that we've begun. There's going to be a, a... a fortnightly uh, on a Monday night for men that will be in the opposite week for watchmen. Watchmen uh, uh, is for men on a fortnightly basis. That's different, but there'll also be prayer 7.30 to 8.30 on a Monday night. There's also a Tuesday afternoon option. Parents, you can pick your kids up from school. You can give them some encouragement food and take them to the prayer room. And there's a new 3.30 to 4.30 after school slot. And then you can give them a special treat on the way home. Nothing like incentivizing. Did that when our boys were younger. Also, there's a great set at 6am on a Wednesday morning. It's a bloke set. It's Blair and Jody, And um, they need a couple of other men to come and do 
leg squats with them. <laughs> and uh, if, if you know Blair and Jody, you know they like to work out. Uh, anyway, so um, that's, that's six to seven on a Wednesday morning. They'd like another couple of blokes to join them. Also, we've got Friday morning, 6 till 7 a.m. with Pete Fleming. He'd like some other people come and join him at that slot. Uh, and there's a new one at 7.30 on a Friday morning to 8 o'clock. So again, on the way to school, you can drop in or on the way to work. Any of these work for people on the way to work. Uh, 7.30 to 8 for families. We're going to be focusing on families. And of course, there's the brand new uh, one has been running a couple of weeks now. The 7 o'clock till 8 o'clock. Uh, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Prayer for Israel, Salvation of Israel set that's uh, gone on. So you've got all those details in there. So I'm just saying, hey, this is it. Together. Let's go, let's go again, people. Let's go again. You know, you got distracted. COVID hit you. Knocked you off your perch. Get back up on. Let's go. Let's go again. You know, things happen to us all and we need to re-sign up again. As Jason was wrapping up his message and he was talking about the Moravians and some other things that have given birth to things, I remembered, it was 1995, about 1994, some of you did, were not born then, it's about 1994, Julie and I were having coffee in Fremantle, at a great coffee place, and um, we, were, we were discussing together about the need for more churches in the city of Fremantle and it, and it began to really stir in our hearts and we began to pray that God would raise up strong uh, witnesses for him in this, in this region, in this city. When we went to live in America in, uh, at the beginning of 1996 and while we were there for 1996 and 1997, we prayed every week. We were praying, Lord, raise up a church, raise up more churches in the city of Fremantle. At that point, we had no plans at all to plant a church in Fremantle. None. We didn't know where God was going to send us. I was sure it was not going to be here. That's a, that's a whole other story. I was prepared to go anywhere in the world and serve him. And, uh, but, we, we prayed, we prayed regularly. Lord, raise up, raise up, raise up strong churches, powerful churches in the city of Fremantle, more churches in the city of Fremantle, God, 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 God. And then when God said to us, go home, we said, what are we, what are we going to do when we go home? He says, I'll tell you when you get there. It's like, okay. So we came back to this area in beginning of September 1997. We're going, God, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? Start a church in Fremantle. You're part of the answer to the prayers that you've been praying. The fact that you're sitting here this morning is the fruit of prayers that were prayed. And not just by Julie and me, but of others saying, Lord, raise up churches in the city of Fremantle. And part of our mandate is to be an, a representative of a company of people who are expressing on earth the worship and the prayer that's going on in heaven. We've been doing that consistently since we began in 1997, but in a much more focused way since 2005 with the birth of the prayer room.
I want to invite the worship team to come on up to close our time together. And I want to invite you to stand with me, please. You just open your hands, palms up. If you want to do that, it's voluntary. You don't have to do it. I'm just inviting you to this place and say, just breathe out a prayer to Jesus. Just say, Jesus, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. Jesus, I'm willing. I'm willing to drag my, my dull, bored, cold heart to the bonfire of your love on a daily basis. I'm willing to come into the prayer room. I'm willing to sign up and commit to being in the prayer room with others to learn to seek your face, to lift my voice before you simply because you are worthy of worship. You are worthy of worship. I want to join with the angels. I want to join with the living creatures. I want to join with the 24 elders crying out in worship and adoration. They're not crying out because they've had their sins forgiven, because they've got eternal life. They're crying out because they just know you're worthy. I want to be candid among them. Because I've seen you. My eyes have beheld you. I've been captivated by you. Jesus, teach us to pray. Amen.